The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read the entire, uh, this has been what was famously known as the Christ hymn, verses 5 through 11. We're going to dig into 9 through 11 today. I broke this up into two sermons for you. And so we'll examine the second half of this um, this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Let's pray, and then we will jump off into what the Lord has in store for us this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for another day of life, another Sunday to work the truth of your revelation into our feeble walk as Christians. Today we'll realize anew the vindication that came by way of your design through the God-man Jesus Christ, we'll realize it anew today, Father. So may we draw strength from your truth, and may we hear anew, may we hear anew the wonderful and beautiful faith that many of us have been drawn to. We pray for Pastor Greg and his work in Bahrain. Hold him upright, transform him, be with he and his family. And I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read the entire Christ hymn again. This is, this, is just, this is just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture here. The Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this dear church whom he loved. He says in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, unity and humility, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confessed Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This one solid chunk of scripture is commonly referred to as the Christ hymn. Paul is infamous for descending into these, uh, into these intermissions of what I call Christological reflection throughout his writings. He'll take you on these journeys like he has in the first part of this book that we've been walking through. He'll take you on these journeys, and he's taken us on this journey into missional living in the form of a challenge. Remember, I've been telling you that the content and the movement of the gospel, it gives you purpose. It will give you purpose individually, and it will give you purpose as a church. Paul, what he does here in this hymn is he effectively doubles down, and he arrives at the basis of our faith, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the basis of our faith. Last week, we dealt briefly with two major theological truths from the first part of this hymn, verses 5 through 8. Two major theological truths, namely that Jesus Christ is truly God and he is truly man. He is the God-man. I hope you'll recall the particulars that we derive from the doctrine of Christ. He did not take off his divinity when he came, or he did not remove any part of his divinity when he came for purposes of a man. He came and he concealed his divinity. He conceals it in order to expose himself to the circumstances of mankind. 
It's in that context that we see his humility. A humility is important because it's the single, I believe, based upon the authority of the scriptures, Apostle Paul here, humility is the single strongest factor of living in humility in unity. Why is unity important? Why is unity important for us? It's because because of unity, there's no effectiveness in the challenge to live out the gospel. Without unity, throughout the utilization of humility, without unity through humility, we will fail to live lives for the content and the movement of the gospel. We'll fail. Paul is smart. Paul's been around a while. He's been around the block. He understands the way the gospel moves. This is a man that took the gospel literally all over the entire world. And so he tells us that Christ exposed himself to the circumstances of mankind by concealing his divinity. Not only did he conceal his divinity, he conceals it and takes the form of man. Not only does he take the form of man, and not only does he take the form of man and conceal his divinity, he takes the form of a servant man. And not only does he conceal his divinity, take the form of a servant man, but he suffered and he died for the sake of others. He suffered and died for the sake of others. This is a man that left this earth void of dignity and worth in his human form. So hear or examine the lessening or the stair-step lowering of the first part of this hymn here. Jesus was in the form of God, verse 6. He did not grasp that divinity, but he emptied himself. He became a man. He became a servant man. He lived in complete obedience to the Father, an obedience that ultimately caused his death. This is humility. All of this humility and this debasement, it ended on the cross. He died as a fraud. The great I am, the one that sits equal with God the Father in eternity, the person that ushers in the kingdom of God, God Almighty in the person of Jesus Christ, he died a fraud for the multitudes. The ultimate form of humility, to conceal his divinity, the control of power, to walk this earth for over three decades being indifferent about himself. He lived in utter and complete humility in order that the church might surface in order that the church might surface. But how? How can God take the form of man and conceal his divinity? How can he expose himself to the circumstances of mankind and leave this world largely misunderstood and as a fraud under public opinion? How does it work out for our salvation? How can, it be, how can I be restored to the one that created me, restored by way of a broken Jewish man that was in poverty, that had lost all reputation, that chose not to play the political system, that chose, not, chose to conceal his divinity for the purposes of being a lowly servant? How does all of that end? end up creating the gospel how does that create a way for my brokenness to be corrected it's humility the exposure to the fraud the charges the concealment of divinity the purposes of living as a manservant the complete obedience to the father the cause of his death it ends up creating the gospel by way of these circumstances a man's brokenness is created it's it's how the gospel is created it's because the story doesn't end with jesus being a fraud the story doesn't end there 
The proof of his divinity was to come. The Father in his immaculate and unprecedented wisdom would not be put to shame. God would visibly demonstrate the proof of Christ's divinity. This proof was not to compensate for Christ, for what Christ did. The proof was not to compensate for what Christ did. The proof of Christ's divinity was not to compensate him for what he did. Christ is co-essential to the Father. Christ is God. He is God. He upholds the universe by the word of of his, by the, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The proof of Christ's divinity was not compensation. It was a reversal of his status. It was a reversal of his status. Jesus being raised from the dead, it was not compensation. It was a reversal of his status. Jesus was in the form of God. He did not grasp that divinity, but he emptied himself. He became a man. He became a servant man. He lived in complete obedience to the will of the Father. That obedience caused his death. And then God reversed the earthly status of Jesus Christ. From God the Son who chose to conceal his divinity, who concealed his status, who became a man, who became a servant man. He lived in complete obedience to the Father, which was the obedience that led him to take on the curse of broken man, the curse of death. From the lowest human status on earth, death, God begins the reversal of Christ's status. He begins a reversal of that status in order to prove his divinity. It's the vindication. This is vindication, to prove his equality with the Father, which he already assumed in eternity past. From the lowest human status of death, God exalted him. He he bestowed upon him the highest name. He bestowed upon him the name above all names. He unfolds a necessary compliance to that name. There's a necessary compliance to that name in the text. Verbal confession, the tongues will speak. He unfolds a necessary compliance to that name. In physical obedience, every knee will bow. And it's because Jesus Christ is indeed Lord God Almighty. This is vindication. All of this is done for the glory of God the Father. This is vindication. This is vindication. So today we see in verses 9 through 11 the vindication. It's a maneuver on the part of the triune God in order to draw his glory and majesty of the gospel forth for a messed up and broken world, a messed up and broken people. And it's it's to draw his glory out from the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that we stand in receipt of his grace. Thanks be to God. Paul tells us in verse 9, therefore God, therefore God, he switches to God, has highly exalted him and and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus did not receive a new name. This is important for you. Jesus did not receive a new name. He already possessed the name of God, Jesus Christ. We know this because Paul inserts the patriarch of prophets, Isaiah, into this text in verse 10. Paul reaches back and grabs a piece of Old Testament scripture here in order to equate Jesus' name with the great I am of the Old Testament. Do you understand the maneuver He's equating Jesus Christ with the God Almighty of the Old Testament. What a strong maneuver on the part of Paul. He equates the Christ of the gospel, the one who willingly concealed his divinity, the one whose reputation was tarnished for redemption of mankind. He equates this Christ, the one of the lowest common denominators in the eyes of man. He equates him with the God of the Old Testament. What a strong maneuver. What a masterful statement on the part of the Apostle Paul. 
What a masterful literary movement on the, on the part of the Apostle Paul. He does it for the sake of clarity. He does it for the sake of clarity. The poor and broken Christ, the one, is e- the one that is equal in name and essence to the sovereign who reigns and orchestrates the nations, the only one that can sovereignly proclaim in the Old Testament as Isaiah writes, for I am God and there is no other. And to me, to me every knee should bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is the divine name of Jesus Christ in which he already possessed when he took on flesh from the beginning, from when there was no beginning, from eternity past. Paul references bestowing on him Jesus the name that is more about Christ's reputation. It's more about his reputation and the vindication of his status. He already possessed the name. He concealed it when he came to earth. The new reputation of Jesus Christ, his vindication, his acquittal, it was not done by the hands of a human court. It was, the acquittal was not undertaken by the feeble minds of a jury trial or at the federal bench. The acquittal and the reversal was exclusively but done by God Almighty. Once the gospel was completed by the Father, he reaches his hand into this world once again. And by the bodily resurrection of the Son, he vindicates his own glory. He vindicates his own glory. The name Jesus received, it was always his name. It was always his name. He already possessed the name of Jesus from the foundation of the world. It was, however, the prerogative of God the Father to acquit the king on the back end of the fraudulent charges. Paul's reference to bestowing on him Jesus the name, the name, it's more about the reputation of Jesus Christ and the reversal of his earthly status an earthly status that he concealed. Christ could be exalted and his earthly status could be reversed. He could have done it himself. He could have done it all himself. But remember the humility. Remember the humility from this past week. And then verses 10 through 11, Paul walks off into the details of the exaltation. With reputation of Jesus Christ now vindicated, it leads to this ultimate exaltation, the ultimate acclaim. The reputation as the great I am was restored to Jesus. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul in verses 10 through 11 here. Some of the most powerful words in all of scripture. He says, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reputation was reversed. The earthly status of Jesus was reversed in the exaltation. What about the exaltation? What is it and why is it necessary? Why is God concerned about exaltation? Exaltation is an act of elevating someone's status. It's an act of elevating someone's status. And in the, in the case of Jesus Christ, it was to prove his divinity. Christ's exaltation is God's response to the crucifixion. He had to respond or death would reign forever. The story would not end in death. This is the grace of God. The bodily resurrection is such an important doctrine of the faith. Never walk away from the bodily resurrection. Never walk away from its exaltation. Christ's exaltation is always paired with his humility. It's always paired with his humility. His death ended in humiliation and at the same time it was a conduit for exaltation. 
God's response to the crucifixion in order to uphold Jesus' innocence, in order to reverse his reputation, the person of Jesus Christ became a man, not the substance. The person of Jesus Christ became a man, not his divinity, not the substance. The concealing of his divinity was the humiliation and God's response was given to him. It was to give him the highest name on earth, the name above all names. Death then becomes, this is so important, death then becomes the pattern, the path to life. Death, therefore, begins the pattern, begins the path to life. Christ possessed the divinity. He possessed the offices, though concealed, but in the exaltation of God is Christ's glory. But he did not necessarily possess the status among men as the great I am. He did not necessarily possess that status among men on this earth. The exaltation is a new status among mankind, that he might ascend to the right hand of God the Father, and he might mediate for us and one day return to judge the quick and the dead. He does not possess, he did not possess the glory beforehand on earth. He had all the necessary substance for the glory he had all the divinity for the glory he did not enjoy its revelation on this earth until the morning that the promise was given the morning when the silence of God's glory was broken and from the grave from the grave rose the king of kings he ascended to the right hand of God the father and we stand in expectation for his long-awaited return this is when the glory came The public exaltation of Christ in the revelation of his glory. Death leads to life. Death for Christ, it led to his glory. The humility is necessary for the exaltation. The death is necessary for the life. The gospel comes to you by way of humiliation, not by way of arrogance and pride. The gospel is remarkable. The gospel is remarkable. This now gives us a framework All that Paul does here gives us a framework to understand that for the Christian, death becomes the path to life. Death becomes the path to life. The death becomes the path to life. It's a pattern that's replete in the Bible. It began in Jesus Christ. It began in him by his humiliation and his vindication that we've seen. It's a pattern set forth for us by Christ, the one, the death to life pattern. It happens in the life of every Christian by faith. It happens by faith. When Christ did, died his perfection, we obtain that. We have his perfection because of our faith. In the eyes of God, we have his perfection because of our faith. It's a faith that takes us from death to life. It's the death to life pattern that's all over the Bible. You'll remember the life of Moses, the great Moses. You'll remember his life as given us in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is one of the favorite, my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Recall the story of Moses, the writer of Hebrews. He walks us right through the story of Moses, his death to life pattern that accomplished his faith the words of the writer of hebrews in chapter 11 verse 23 hear the death to life pattern in the life of moses by faith moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were they were not afraid of the king's edict by faith moses when he was grown up he refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing here it is choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of god than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin you hear the death in the life of moses 
And then here it is in verse 26. Moses, he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Before, for he was looking to the reward. Moses, he released the treasures of Egypt, and he was subsequently called by God to be the savior of Israel. Death, death to himself became the path to life for Moses. How about Christ himself in Matthew chapter 16? The gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus goes right at this with his disciples. Jesus Christ not only models the pattern in his life, the death-to-life pattern, but he speaks, it into, he speaks it into existence with his disciples, the ones whom he've called to follow him. He speaks this death-to-life pattern into the life of the disciples. Hear the words of the Jesus Christ here in verse 24 of chapter 16 in the, in the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Hear how Jesus speaks the death-to-life pattern into these, into these people's lives. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would, would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What would it profit a man if he never experienced death on this earth? Death to himself. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, this is the words of Jesus Christ. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming, Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Have you experienced death? Death to yourself in which Jesus sets here. The pattern has been set. Jesus speaks into the disciples' lives the notion that death to selfish desires, it must precede life. The Christian faith, the life of a disciple, is marked by death. It's marked by humility. And it's ultimately that vindication will exist when Jesus returns. Death is the road to life. Paul writes of this in our hymn this morning. He writes of men like Moses, men that modeled their life after this, and Christ calls the disciples of him to do the same. You see, death then becomes the path to life. The death to life pattern, the humiliation to exaltation pattern, it's the pathway to salvation. Humiliation unfolds the boundless glories of the gospel and makes salvation from your wretched and baseless self available. Death must precede life for the status to be reversed for the disciple. God responded to the crucifixion in order to uphold Jesus' innocence, in order to reverse his reputation, to reverse his status on this earth. Death then becomes the path to life. Death, therefore, begins the path to life. Humility is the path to exaltation. Humility is the path to exaltation. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Death as the path to life, it's for your status reversal as well. It's not only for Christ, it's been given to you. Do you realize this? Do you realize that the pattern of Christ, God's God's reversal of his status, is the way to reverse your status in two senses? It reverses your status in two senses. It reverses your status before God, and it reverses your status before others. 
It reverses your status before God and it reverses your status before others. God's reversal of the earthly status of Jesus Christ is the means by which we have the gospel. This is the gospel that we've seen in the Christ hymn. Jesus Christ chose to conceal his divinity, his divine nature, to become a man. He became a servant man. He lived in complete obedience to the Father, which was the obedience that led him to take on the curse of the broken man, death. The humility to exaltation, the the death to life pattern is done by Jesus Christ so that we have the gospel, so that the grace came, so grace may be extended to you and bring you into right relationship with God. It's by way of his status reversal, by way of his vindication that the name has been given to him, the reputation has been restored to him, the vindication is realized so that you and I can have our status reversed. This Christ hymn, it creates two significant categories for, of status of people on this earth, two categories of people on this earth, those that have lived in arrogance and those that have lived through humility and died to themselves, they now experience life. Those in the dark and those in the light. Those that have realized their brokenness before the creator God and have humbled themselves and confessed their sin before the creator God and those that still shake their fist in arrogance and pride. You must die to yourself before your status will be reversed in the eyes of God the Father, Christ, because of his humiliation and exaltation, has brought to bear the path. He's brought to bear the path to eternal life. The Son, he's already completed the salvation, once for all delivered to the saints, and those who submit themselves to the same pattern that Christ has done here by faith, you will indeed find life. You will find vindication. You'll find the abundance of life that you've been missing. You'll find salvation from your brokenness in Jesus Christ. This is the reversal of status before God Almighty. The second application of this is a reversal of your status before others. The second way in which the death and life pattern impacts your life is that it causes a reversal of your status before others. In other words, Christ's pattern of humility to exaltation, it gives us strength to live out unselfish love. This is unity and humility. This is unity and humility. We've been for weeks talking about the other-focused life. We've been talking about this life fighting of individualism. For unselfish love to exist, we must be willing to stand in the gap for other people. We must be willing to stand in the gap for others. This is unselfish love. Your status before God has been reversed by way of Jesus Christ that you might live for the benefit of others. The death to life pattern. This is humility. This exposure to the fraudulent charges, the concealment of divinity for the purposes of becoming a manservant, the complete obedience to the Father, the cause of his death. It ends up creating the gospel. It ends up creating the way that these circumstances can correct. These circumstances, it creates the way that mankind's brokenness can be restored. And it's because the story didn't end as Je- with Jesus as a fraud. It ended with the, the proof of his divinity to come, the Father and his immaculate and unprecedented 
unprecedented wisdom, he would not be put to shame. God would visibly demonstrate the proof of Christ's divinity. The proof was not compensation for what Christ did. The proof of Christ's divinity was not compensation for what Christ did. Christ is co-essential with the Father, and he is God, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The proof of Christ's divinity, the exaltation is not the compensation. It's a reversal of the status on earth, and Jesus being raised from the dead is the way in which our status is reversed. Thanks be to God for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the proof of his divinity, the exaltation. It was the reversal of status for the broken sinner that comes to him in humility. How does this change your life? How does this change your life? Benevolent Father, raise us up to be people that see the beauty of this hymn and may its reality, may its reality in our life compel us to an unselfish love for one another as we live in humility and unity for the content and the movement of the gospel. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, I'm overwhelmed by your wisdom in the gospel. I'm overwhelmed by the way you unfolded it to us in the God-man Jesus Christ who's full of divinity and he carried the title of the great I am before the foundation of the earth. When there was nothing, there was Christ Jesus and he was co-essential with you. And the only way for the gospel to reach us is that the God-man There had to be one that could take the wrath of a perfect and holy God and you sent him in your wisdom and it creates a death to life pattern that we may confess him and we may hold him forth as our savior and we may experience life eternal. And we know that those who confess him, they confess his name, they confess his status on this earth as the savior, we know that they may experience a bodily death, Father but they'll never experience a second death. And so I'm thankful to you for this truth in our life. Have mercy on us, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.